My, my boy JC, Josh Cohen, he's the man, he's the myth, he's the legend. And, uh, oh my gosh, dude, I mean, we have so much to talk about with uh, last night's game. Uh, but before we dive into that, I just want to remind you guys to make sure that you like, make sure you subscribe if you enjoy Sixers, Phillies, Flyers, and Patriots content. That's what we cover on here. We also obviously talk about the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and the MLB because that's what we do. And, um, yeah, so I just I had to get that housekeeping stuff out of the way. Help me with the algo. That always helps. I call it the algo. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so... Josh, I'm going to give you the floor in just a little bit, um, but I just have to tell you, from last night's loss, okay, I still have a lot of emotions about this, and the way that I'm feeling now, I slept on it for a little bit, you know, I had a very good night's sleep, finally, at around, like, five o- 4 o'clock in the morning, that's, like, when I fell asleep, so it took me forever to do that. My My friend... You know, one of my really great friends, God bless him, his name is Nick Earnshaw, okay? He does stuff for WIP. He doesn't know this, okay? But I did call in the WIP, and actually I kind of felt a little bit better because I was listening to Tom Kelly on the radio, and I was also listening to, you know, the callers and everything, and just to, like, listen to their perspectives on what happened and what didn't happen in last night's game, and it made me feel a little bit better, but my biggest biggest takeaways from last night were that this team on the bright side they can compete with anybody when they put their minds to it but I also felt like this was a game seven it actually kind of reminded me of game seven of the Toronto series but Kawhi did not hit the shot like you know like that type of a reference because Embiid Embiid's shot, even though it was heroic, it just didn't count. And I thought, I really thought in real time, like when I was calling it, I really thought it counted. But how can you tell in real time with that type of a shot? So, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I feel, I feel a little sad. I feel optimistic, and I also feel a little confused in a lot of ways. At the same time, I feel like that that this team, when they can put it all together. They can do so much good stuff. But there were times, like during the stretches last night, where Al Horford just got open threes, and they had a hard time with guarding the pick and roll. And that hasn't been... That's been coming up for so many years, JC. You and I have both talked about that. And I think that I think that they got exposed, and the team that had more mental toughness at the end ended up winning. And... It was just frustrating because this team that they were facing is the best team in the Eastern Conference. It's their biggest rival of all time in their franchise. And obviously the team, or or sorry, and obviously that team, you know, they, they won both games before that. And they did it the last time that they played each other. They were undermanned and they didn't, they had, they missed four starters like the last time. And yet they were still able to win. And there's just something to it when you're going up against a team that's 3-0 and against you. It's just not a good feeling. And, you know, like that's, that's literally like where my heart is right now. I'm a little bit all over the map, but I feel optimistic, though, in a lot of ways, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I also feel sad, and I feel still a little bit confused as to 
what the rotations are going to be like and how this game is going to impact them moving forward. So I'm going to give you the floor. The floor is all yours, man, because I'm done babbling about this team, and I really just want to hear what your thoughts were on last night's game. First of all, my man JJ, thank you for having me. I listen to your pod all the time. I listen to your cast all the time, and you're my boy, and we always talk Sixers after after the game. So thank you for bringing me on for an official pod. Um, of course. You know, I'm, as far as emotion-wise, of course I'm disappointed. It's our rival, our biggest rival, probably behind Lakers-Celtics. Sixers-Celtics is probably the biggest rivalry in league history. Of course I'm disappointed, but to be honest with you, I expected us to lose this game by 15 points. I, I watch the NBA consistently every night. I'm constantly switching from team to team on league pass. Boston's a damn good team. They have the best record in the league. Joe Missoula at 34 years old, he's now the odds-on favorite for coach of the year. Obviously, Tatum and Brown have been incredible. Uh, one of the highest scoring duos of all time, at least this year. I, I thought we were going to lose by a lot more. So, of course, I'm I'm disappointed, but we fought we fought hard and we Boston is the number one team in the NBA. We showed that we can compete with them even when you know some of our guys aren't hitting our th- their threes. You know, Joel Embiid's incredible and I think I I can't take him for granted. The day that he retires is going to be a very sad day. Uh we both agree he's the MVP front runner. Many people don't. It's probably going to be Jokic. For a third time in a row, unfortunately, but he's yep. second in the league in points per game. But yep. I mean, I, I I guess I my first thought after the game, of course, of course I'm heartbroken. Not that we lost. I think if we lost by 10, I would have been like, this sucks, whatever. Uh obviously Tatum hitting a buzzer beater like that. I mean, that was just a crazy shot. And that's what top 10 players do. Tatum's a bucket, man. And I, to be honest, I thought our defense on Tatum this year has been phenomenal. At yes. least wise. That shot was ridiculous. But what I'm going to say about that, though, is great of a defender as DeAnthony Melton is, Jalen McDaniels has to be subbed in and guarding guys like that on the final play. Thank you. My interpretation, at least, of why we traded Matisse, yes, he's an excellent defender. But he's he's much more perimeter-oriented guarding guys like Curry and Dame and uh Luca that that's his forte is guard is defending guards my interpretation of why we traded him he doesn't have the length he doesn't have the wingspan he's not as tall as McDaniels and McDaniels he can bump bodies a bit he's a bit stronger obviously he's a bit more talented on the offensive end we haven't really seen it shooting wise but finishing definitely and running the floor in transition him and Harden at a really nice um give and go in transition last night but I, my interpretation of why we traded for McDaniels is he's much more equipped to guard the Giannis's of the East, the Butlers of the East, the Tatums, the Browns, the guys that are six eight to seven feet that are that are giving you that are giving you buckets, you know, in, in the paint. Because of McDaniel's wingspan and his length, he's much more equipped to guard those guys. And I don't think Melton. As great of a defender he is, he doesn't have that length to contest that shot. In, in that moment, Tatum with the behind the back, he's you know pull up three. He's gonna be able to shoot that over you. He's tall. He's taller than Melton. That's what it is. 
you if you got McDaniels, obviously he increases your offense a little bit, but he, he's a great defender. And you, you, to me, you've got to put him in in that moment because I guess I can see from the point of view, yeah, if the Celtics hit the shot, he's not a threat to hit a half-court shot, obviously. But you're not worried about that in that moment. You're worried about getting a stop and sending the game to overtime. He's got to be in on those final plays. I totally agree with that. Now, I want to ask you a question because something that I've noticed that has been popping up a little bit on Twitter and even on social media more is some people are wondering whether or not Tobias Harris should have committed that last foul. And I thought in real time, like as I'm calling it, I thought it was actually the smart move because now Boston has to figure out, okay, how they're going to inbound it again. And obviously they still had one timeout left. But some people think that it's important for Boston to just be on their toes and to kind of just let them just play free-for-all. But what say you? I mean, the Celtics still didn't have a timeout. So it's not if they had a timeout, I don't think that would have been a good foul. But, yeah, I mean, you, you took time off the clock. I, th- I think that they still had one left after that. Well, yeah, 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 they did. off the clock, and granted, you do give them an opportunity to throw the ball into the backcourt. I, I wish you'd have known what's coming. I mean, an off-ball screen to a backdoor to Tatum. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, at that point, I, I think you even leave some guys open. Like, if, if we lose off of – and Horford was draining his threes, but I, you know where the ball's going. I don't – I thought the foul was fine. Bro, his it, sister thought, has been so annoying on Twitter. Oh, I yeah, I can't stand her. Gosh. Uh, Al, <laughs> that whole family, such traitors, bro. <laughs> Al Horford was such a bum, and now now he's draining threes against us and talking talking smack to the Philly fans. I, I can't stand <laughs> in that family, but I, I mean, I, like I said, Tatum, that's what great players do, but I – I don't know. Dan Burke, he's our defensive guy, right? I mean, I you have to yep. know that that's coming there. Yep. No, but either, I, I either totally way, agree. like I said, I think McDaniels has to be subbed in in that situation. Yeah. I. So so I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about about the neg. Uh, well, no, I want. Let's start off with the positives first, because honestly, there were a lot of really good things that we could take away from this game. I told you, you know, I was on the phone with you um, before last night's game, and I told you that this is a playoff type of a game. It's ESPN. It's a Saturday night game. It's 8.30 primetime. All eyes were going to be on this game for so many different reasons, from a Boston perspective, from a Sixers perspective, and from just a national media perspective, you know. And so I thought that this team really competed, just like you said, and they played very well until the bitter end, and the talent at the end of the day just was, you know, it was up to par, but Boston just had the upper hand at the end, and they took more advantage of the Sixers' mistakes that occurred in the second half, and that's, like, no fault to the Sixers or anything, but I just feel like that if these teams were to face each other in the playoffs, this is going to be a good series. It's going to be a fight like to the bitter end, and we could honestly see both of these teams 
potentially in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I literally took that away as a positive. And the other thing that I also took away as a positive, too, was P.J. Tucker. I mean, P.J. Tucker literally went to show you last night, this is why Daryl got him. Now, you can still argue that, oh, he's getting paid a little bit too much money. You know, 39 for three years, that's a little bit too much for a 36-year-old that's going to be 39 at the end of his contract. But he was so active on the glass last night. He picked up right where he left off at the end of that Memphis game when he got that big offensive rebound and he just gave it up to Tobias Harris. You know, that resulted in a go-ahead three. And that was huge because you need those types of players on this team, you know, that are veterans, that have leadership, that have won championships. And I really thought that as poor of a season as he's had, in big moments, he will show up. And last night, he showed up. And those were like my two biggest takeaways, but, you know, that were positives. But what do you think was something or a couple of things that you thought were actually really good? in last night's game from the Sixers' perspective. Oh, I completely agree with you on the P.J. Tucker front. He's actually been one of my favorite players since he was in Houston because of his hustle. Yep. It, I know it's cliche to say, you know, making the plays that don't show in the box score, but five offensive rebounds, I mean, that's huge. He's, Gives your team more possessions, yeah. And it's loose balls. Like, not only is it loose balls, but it's loose balls that are bouncing all the way back to pretty much before the half-court line. Yep. So he really has to fight hard and hustle to get back there. And once he gets that, he's kicking it to to Harden or Tobias for either a catch-and-shoot three or, or a one-dribble pull-up three. I mean, he's giving them wide-open looks off those offensive rebounds because the defense doesn't have time to set. Yep. I mean, they, sure. those are huge. He's creating extra points. It changes the game. It does. And at, at his age, what is, is he still 36? I think he's 37 now. He's putting – to put it, your body on the line at 37 when you're not the star player. And I, I also think he's starting to find his rhythm from three. They're giving him way more looks than they were before the All-Star break. They're finding him. And that also has to do with Embiid's improved vision on the court. And obviously Harden is – in my opinion, the best playmaker in the league. Um, but he's making the plays that won them the series when he was with the Heat last year. He was the reason that the Heat won the series. Like, I know Butler was phenomenal. He's He made the scrappy plays that won them the, the Heat the series last year. And he's making the plays that helped win Milwaukee the championship. I mean, he, he doesn't yeah. get enough credit, in my opinion. And, and I agree. Offensive rebounds are such a huge part of the game. People don't take them for granted because they don't happen that often, but it's creating second chance opportunities that we're ending up cashing in on and giving us wide open threes that are cutting deficits. So uh, PJ obviously was, was excellent. Tobias these past two games since all all star break, he's been hot. And I, I, I love that in my opinion, I, I see as a basketball player myself, they're starting to, design plays for him that make him think quickly and decisively. The, the issue with Tobias, why people get frustrated is he's in his head too much. He's in his head too much. You know, when he's not like, for example, the, the play against the Grizzlies the other night where Harden hits that insane three against Bain in the corner, he had the shot. He had the shot. He pumped, he's pump faking when he's wide open. Yep. They're, they're designing plays that make him 
think quickly and decisively. He has to make an instant decision in that moment. He's receiving backdoor cuts, off-ball off screens that they're involving with him him and Joel more in pick-and-roll situations and, and pop situations, or Joel's feeding it to him off these off-ball screens, cutting through the lane. Yep. And if they keep running these plays, it will, it's going to help him maintain his confidence on catch and, and shoot threes. You want to get him those easy easy cutting layups straight to the basket. It, that, it helps him when you want him in those catch and shoot three situations because he's going to be open a lot. The yep. defense in late game situations, they're going to collapse on Harden and Embiid and he's going to be open for a kickout. He has to drain those shots. So you want to get him into a rhythm early, cutting through the lane with, with easy looks. So that way in those fourth quarter situations, he's going to knock down those catch and shoot threes without hesitation. I totally agree, and I'm actually really happy that you brought up Tobias Harris because defensively, he does not get enough credit. And last night, man, the part of the reason why Jason Tatum was struggling was because Tobias Harris was playing lockdown defense on him. And even at the end of the game, there was a, a possession. It wasn't obviously the last possession, but it was, I think it was the possession before that where Jason Tatum actually was on the far wing and he had the ball and Tobias Harris trapped him and literally had all hands on him to have him shoot a contested three-pointer. And I thought that that was something that really has just gone so unnoticed that not many people are talking about because he has stepped up defensively, man. And I'm not telling you that he's this elite-level defensive type of a player, but he played probably his arguably his best defense I've ever seen in a Sixers uniform last night. And I thought that he was just so active. He was engaged on that end. Even at the beginning of the game, he knocked down a couple of threes. And I just I give him a lot of uh, credit because I know that his role just keeps changing year after year after year. And forget the money, okay? Forget all of the, uh, you know, like the pick and roll and the, and the isos and all that sort of stuff. Like, when he does that, it kind of gets a little bit annoying because he can do it a lot. But it seems like that he's changed his role so many times, and yet he just finds ways to adjust to the offense and to the defense. And when he is just bought in, we don't talk about it enough. And I thought that part of the reason why that the Sixers were still in that game last night was because of his defense. I can't lie. Oh, absolutely. He's improved every year defensively since he's been here. Yeah. Uh, I think I think at this point he's definitely an above average defender. I I don't I thought the first couple of years he was here was not he was definitely a liability on defense, but uh he's he's shuffling his feet well, man. Yeah. No. And, I... and also jo Joel Obviously, we know how gifted he is yeah. as a scorer. His IQ has drastically improved as a passer. I mean, he's making the correct play every time out of double and triple teams. I'm yeah. not going to say every time. Most of the time, he's making the correct play out of double and triple teams. His court vision is excellent now. It's really improved since the first couple of years. Uh, sure. And he's usually leading to a corner three and open backdoor cut. But as far as the defensive end, I really don't, still don't think Joel gets his flowers on defense. He's the I, best I, rim protector in the NBA. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I really don't see it with Gobert. I, I mean, people say Gobert is. May, I think you can make an argument Giannis might be best 
rim protector, but I, I think Joel's definitely top three. Has, I mean, I, I just don't think he gets his flowers on defense. I, I don't think no. people have him in there as a top 10 defender. But it, it's not just blocking the ball. He's anchoring the whole damn show. He's telling everyone on the court where to switch, where to stay home. And, and guards don't want to drive on him because yep. he's pestering you not only in the paint, but all over the place on the perimeter. They can't even get past him. You and saw Gobert that with Marcus Smart last fight. night. I mean, yeah. and that, that block on Brown at the end, I mean, that, 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 the game's over if he doesn't make that play. His timing, his timing on the ball is just impeccable. And it, I don't think the defense, the rest of the players will be as good on defense if he's not anchoring the, the whole thing. He really knows where everyone needs to be at all times to prevent a basket. No, I, I completely agree with you. And you bring up such a great point, too, because have we ever seen a center like, literally play that type of a defense and stay on top of guards? Like, I don't think I've ever seen that in my entire life. And as great as Shaq was, as great as Hakeem was, a great as great as Wilt was, and even Tim Duncan, they could never stay on top of guards like Joel has. And I don't understand why not as many people are talking about that because it just goes to show how versatile he is as not just a rim protector, but as a perimeter defensive player, too. So, I, I, I totally agree with you. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the negatives. Because there were definitely negatives from last night. We could talk about the bench. The bench was really bad. And part of the reason why the Celtics won is because their bench outplayed the Sixers bench. And they kept the starters in the games. And even though the starters were pretty cold from a plus-minus a plus minus standpoint, it was literally the bench that just kept them engaged. And finally, Jason Tatum just took over. And he wouldn't have done that if it weren't for the bench. Malcolm Brogdon played really well. He continues to be an incredible uh, six-man option. Even though he only had five points last night, his defense was great. He was passing the rock around a lot. And also, Derek White was knocking down shots. He is clutch, and that was such a great trade that they were able to get him uh, last year because that was a that was such a big key addition. And then the other thing that I took as a negative to last night was you and I have talked about this time and time again. We want James Harden to have the ball in his hands, and we want him to be that closer. And last night there was no closer Harden, and I thought that that was something that was just something that actually kind of cost them, you know, as to taking over the game. Embiid showed up, and Embiid played really well at the end. He knocked down some big foul shots, but I want the ball in James Harden's hands, and I want to see him shoot because that's just what that's what we got him for. We, we didn't just get him as a facilitator and as just being a good playmaker. What separates him from Ben Simmons is as great as a passer as Ben was, I I. I I think Harden's an even better passer, but Harden's a really good shooter, and that's exactly why you got him, because you want him to play off the ball, but you also want him to be on the ball, and I want him taking the shots at the end of the games, and I was really disappointed that he didn't do that last night, and I saw that as another negative. And then my last negative that I'm also going to tell you, too, is I think that I'm not pouring this whole thing on Doc Rivers last night, but the fact that you have, like, one timeout left with, like, 
four minutes left to go, that's unacceptable when you're facing the Boston Celtics. You have to have at least two. So I I thought that I mean I mean like does that cost them the game? Maybe not, but it could put them in a better position. And I think that I think that clock management and uh, and timeouts were something else that I was just not a really big fan of last night. But what say you? Um, as far as as far as and I'm I refer to him as Glenn because he hasn't. <laughs> There's only the one doc in exactly. Philadelphia. <laughs> one of the championship and the other doc. So <laughs> as far as he goes, I mean. I can't blame him for the t- the timeouts he used when he did because at the end of the third and at the start of the fourth, Boston was starting to run away. They were making run- – I mean, we were up, I think, by at least 13 at one point, and Boston somehow at the end of the third was up by 10 or at the beginning of the fourth. He had to call those timeouts when Brown was getting wide-open dunks on a fast break. He- I mean, he had to. Right. The-, the momentum – but we can't wait – we're down 10 to call those timeouts either Correct. that's the problem because at that point the momentum is all has pivoted so i think the t- thing with the timeouts is tricky because we we both you and i both know how consistently the sixers blow leads but part of that is because doc waits so long to call those timeouts yep and obviously his rotations waiting so long to put joel back in the game the rotations, I didn't think, were a big problem though last night. Even though Paul Reed no, was terrible. Yeah, I thought the the lineups were good. He still keeps Joel out of the game too long, and that's not necessarily his fault because we continue to be showed time and time again our complacency with mediocrity at the backup center position is killing us. Yeah, it's going to be our downfall in the playoffs, and it always has been. Yeah, Reed has great defensive instincts. But simply from an IQ standpoint, he's not ready to be on the bright lights of the playoffs. He's just not. Yep. And every time Joel is off the court, teams capitalize and they attack the hell out of the basket and they go on these crazy, you know, 14 to four runs, whatever it may be. And it, it loses us games. It does. We had Bassey in the building. He just signs a four-year contract with the Spurs. <laughs> we had an opportunity to get Drummond back at the deadline. They were shopping. The Bulls were shopping him. Yep. Uh. Tony Bradley has just got released. I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. Bring back, yeah, bring him back, bring back. Daryl doesn't even Bradley. acknowledge that Montrez is in the rotation anymore. Yep. He's out. He's yep. out. So we're going to rely on Dwayne Deadman and and Paul Reed in playoffs. I, I mean, you can't have Joel playing 48 minutes of, of a game. No. You can't, but it's looking like that's what's going to happen to win us games. Yeah. And I, I, I don't hate. I, I did see that Tucker played the backup five more when Joel was out. I, I don't hate that that they're giving him more minutes because I think he can handle it. It's but we still we need way more defensive versatility and IQ and length in the paint. Uh, Tucker doesn't have yeah. that length that Joel has, and like I said, teams notice and they attack the hell out of the basket, uh, for it. Can you can you remind me what you mentioned before uh, you talked about Glenn? Harden as a closer? So yeah, so to go back to that point, I actually I thought Harden was, and not necessarily in the two and the last two minutes, and I think that's on on Glenn to say Harden's the closer at that point. But I thought as far as fourth quarter shot taking, he's taken a lot more at that last game than he has in the past. The problem is we didn't notice it because he didn't deliver. 
but I'm fine with the shots that he took. Like he had something, he had like a behind the back on the baseline that it didn't go. His threes in the fourth weren't falling, falling. I, I, he was getting the separation. They just weren't falling. I'm, I'm fine with him. I, I love those shots. It, they just weren't falling. Uh, but even in the final minute, he's still gotta, he, he's still gotta have the opportunity to take the shots. Yeah. Harden's been Harden is a very clutch player. Yes. Uh, Glenn's got to enable him. Yep. As I think Glenn is saying in the final minute, throw that entry pass to Joel in the post. And because Harden's such a great passer, he can do it. But and Joel was on one last night. I mean, I mean that that shot he hit before he blocked Brown, um, over two defenders, step back. I mean that was just absurd. Yeah, I, I mean I, I can't. They 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 bounced back in the fourth. They were they were down ten at one point. I can't. Yeah. I'm I'm not really angry at how we lost th- this game, but we can't keep enabling these runs when Joel's off the floor. And like I said, Glenn has to call those timeouts sooner. But like you also said, he needs to keep in mind someone's got to let him know you got to have a timeout remaining because correct. The fact that we had to chuck up, a, you know, a full court shot at the end, and oh my god! I mean, if that if he gets that off point two seconds earlier, that's one of the greatest shots in NBA history. I know, but it it, it was heartbreaking. This... But I, I I mean, Boston's a deeper team. That's the problem is the complacency on the bench as well, not just at the backup center position. If Niang's not hitting his threes. He's, I mean, and his de- defense has improved drastically, but if he's not hitting his threes, you can't play him. So at that point, your only option off the bench is Maxi. And as yep. far as that goes, as excellent of an individual defender Melton is, I haven't seen enough of an improvement team defensively wise to keep up this switch from Maxi now on the bench and Melton as a starter because it's clearly affected Tyrese's confidence. And to me, to me, this this offense goes. This offense. Oh, I figured that that was gonna happen. I, I knew it was gonna do it. I knew it. Okay, I have to make sure that I upload to Zoom Pro, so I gotta do that. All right, let me get him back on here. We'll send him another link. But he made a lot of really great points. Honestly, seriously, he. Uh, this is why I love talking to him because he knows he knows his stuff. And he's always very insightful, and he just, you know, is able to give a lot of give a lot of takes and speak a lot of truth, you know. So that's what he does a really good job with. So let me send him another invite. I should have had another one up earlier, but I didn't. Okay, let's do that. All right, and then we'll get him back on pretty soon. So, all right. Um, But, no, he made a lot of really good points. You know, you have to have more than one timeout, you know? You can't just, like, literally only have, like, one timeout left with, like, a minute left. That just can't happen, man. 
when you're playing against the Boston Celtics or these top-tier teams, you have to make sure that you have at least two to three timeouts left. But I understand, you know, like he tried to call them as many as possible. But, but yeah. So, I don't know, dude. Crazy. All right, let me, uh, let me see if I can get him on here. I don't think I can. No. Here, join mine. There we go. We're back on, we're back on. Yep, yep, yep. All right, here we go. Yep, we're back on. Yep. Okay. All right, can you hear me? I, I didn't see your text. I was I was very I was very into, into our discussion. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's totally fine. No, that was totally my bad. I should have upgraded to the pro. I didn't do that. Another another strike for me. But but anyhow, so you were talking about DeAnthony Melton, and obviously you know you were talking about how Doc should have still had at least more than one timeout left. But you understood why. He called the timeouts when he did. And I get that too, but when you're facing against the Celtics, when you're going up against the Bucks, and there's these playoff-type atmospheres, you have to try to go in with the upper hand, and you have to put the team in the best position or in a really good position to win because if we think about it, okay, with about one and a half seconds left, Embiid doesn't have to chuck up that full-court shot. And if you just had like one more timeout left, they honestly just could have advanced the ball and maybe gotten a catch-and-shoot from James Harden or something like that. I'm not telling you that, like, it would have went in, but I would much rather see that, you know? So, but no, continue yeah. with your train of thought. Well, that's that's why you don't call, you know, if they're not going on a 10 nothing run, that's, you know, if they're only scoring, you know, score, go on a 4-0 run, you shouldn't call those timeouts there. When When you're now down 10 after being up 15, you have to call that timeout. But yeah. but you you do need to be mindful that you need to uh, have at least two remaining. I agree. Uh, but as I was saying before, I don't. I haven't seen enough improvement in team defense as excellent yeah. as an, of an individual defender Melton has been, and, and he has been one of the best pickups in the off season in the entire NBA period. For sure. As excellent of an individual defender he is, I the improvement in the team defense. Or the offense hasn't been there enough to where I can say that the switch to Melton in the starting lineup and Maxi on the bench is warranted. Uh, to me, this offense is cooking and at its best when when Maxi is starting and, and getting buckets, and it's clearly shaken his confidence. It, you you, sure. you see his shooting has dropped tremendously. He's not getting those crazy M one layups that he finishing that he used to get. His th- catch and shoot threes aren't hitting. I think you have to consider putting Maxi back in the starting lineup because to me the numbers don't show enough that teams are still putting up a lot of points on us. I, yeah. It, it and Melton isn't a fantastic shooter and all, but you still can give Melton those minutes like we did it with Matisse. You couldn't really play him offensively, but we still were able to give him starter minutes when. At, off the bench, sure. You know when when those guys are really tearing it up and really hot, you're able to disrupt disrupt them. And honestly, it disrupt disrupts the flow of the game more if you have Melton coming in off the bench and disrupting those guys when they're when they're in rhythm, as opposed to him being in 
since the beginning of the game and they have time to adjust to it before the fourth quarter starts. I, I mean, at the end of the day, the new NBA is about who can score the most points in bunches and not the most stops. And when Maxi is hot, hot, this offense is cooking. We saw it in the Toronto series last year, that game one. He had 40 points, and I think we had yep. over 120 points. Yep. And we can't keep watching Tyrese's and, confidence and opportunities be stunted with this change. I don't think it's it's working offensively for either player. And they both pro- thrived in their previous roles as well. Not I mean, to, not only is he our future, but yeah. when, when we're at our best is when he's clicking as the third option. Yep. It's too much speed for the defense to handle, and it completely changes the transition game. I mean, him him and Harden in transition, I mean, he's able to get out in front of the defense so, so fast that they, in the blink of an eye. Yep. And you, you've got to get him hot at the beginning of the game. He's got to be able to play with Harden more to where Harden, you know, they're throwing it back and forth to each other. Yep. And you saw last night when Maxi started to get going is Maxi throws it to Harden, Harden throws it back to Maxi, and he's able to run downhill at full speed full head of steam and the defense doesn't have time to prepare because of how fast he is. I I don't think the switch is, is working and I understand we're winning games, but I think we can be putting up 120 points per game on teams. If he's with in the Tyrese. Spot. Yeah. Yeah. With Tyrese. I, I hate to see it, man. And Tyrese is an excellent player. He's an excellent player. And not only are you stunting his future growth, but I really believe that he raises the ceiling of this team. The NBA is about scoring points in bunches, as as yep. you often say. Yep. That the Mavericks' defense is terrible, but uh, they're putting up historic offensive numbers right now since they've gotten Kyrie, and they're winning games because of it. Yeah. It's a scoring league, man. I and I I just don't I I don't see the benefits of the change over the negatives too much. Well, and like. Um, the other thing I was going to tell you, too, is that, you know, you were talking about last year. Do you know why the Sixers won game four against that, uh, you, you know, against the Miami Heat? Because Tyrese Maxey literally got hot in that fourth quarter. And if he doesn't get hot, if he doesn't make those four threes, the Sixers go home earlier than than what they did in that series. So you can also, like, make the case that, you know, he saved that series, even though, like, they ended up losing. But they wouldn't have won game four if he wouldn't have won on that big spurt. So I totally agree with you about Tyrese. And also, apparently, I didn't see this, but him and Doc were talking last night. And there was, like, some, uh, there was a little bit of, like, some verbal, like, communication that was even being shown, like, on the camera. You know, just between the both of them talking. So I'm curious as to what that old conversation was about. I did not get to listen to Doc Rivers' press conferences, even though I really don't like listening to Doc Rivers' press conferences when he attacks Keith Pompey and Austin Krell and all these other people who do a terrific job, by the way, you know, just reporting on these teams. But I digress. We could talk about that a whole nother day. But, but yeah, your whole point about Tyrese Maxey is totally on point. So then the last thing that I want to discuss with you, okay, is... Last night, even though it was a test for us, you know, we both considered that to be a big test. And, you know, on some levels they succeeded and they passed certain things. And on other levels, you know, like we got to learn more about this team and and what their flaws were. 
So how did they take this moving forward throughout the rest of the regular season and going into the playoffs? That's my question for you. Is it basically, do you think that, that Daryl has to be doing more for the buyout market just based off of this game? Or do you think that the roster, you, you know, it comes down to more Doc Rivers adjustments and just the players themselves trying to do a better job at executing, whether it's guarding the pick and roll, whether it's performing on the pick and roll and giving the ball to Harden, you know, a little bit more. Um, what do you think they're going to have to do as an organization and as a team moving forward throughout the rest of the season? There we go. I mean, to be honest, I don't see I don't see players on the buyout market that really stand out to me. I know Will Barton was just bought out. I don't really know how much I don't really think that raises the ceiling of our our team at all. Uh I mean, it might be a guy who can play off the bench. They they had to do more at the trade deadline. They just had to. Okay. I think you had to get someone to fill in the backup center. I mean, I think you should definitely take a look at Tony Bradley. I think he was should. on this team. He was, I mean, and Beeb was tweeting about him. He, he was really solid when, when he was on this team on both ends. Yep. I think you have to take a look at that. They're not going to. Um, you, you, you've mentioned to me Seth a lot. I don't think Seth Curry's getting bought out at this point. Then I saw Jock Vaughn said he's the backup point guard actually. Yep. For the rest of the year on the Nets, as much as I would love that, I I don't see it happening. So I I, I really don't see anything happening in the buyout market. I I would like to see them give Tony Bradley a chance and drop Deadman. I mean I I don't know what the point of that move was. He hasn't stepped a minute on the floor anyway, so I don't, I don't really know what they were doing there. I, don't know uh, I liked the McDaniel's pickup, even offensive, but offensively I don't know if that moves the needle off the bench like to me you had to the Clippers were already an incredibly deep team and they improved even more Get, getting more Again, Russ. Off the bench. yeah not just Russ I mean Eric Gordon is still a very solid player yep. Plumlee is someone we definitely Plumlee's been a starter in this league for a long time that's someone we should have looked into at yep. the backup center I mean I don't yep I don't know what he Daryl was doing and I can't get mad because to me, the James Harden trade is one of the biggest fleeces in NBA history. Ben Simmons is is not going to be in the NBA next year. He's not in the Nets rotation. But I I do get frustrated because I I don't know where what we're seeing from this bench. That's why I think you have to make the change from Maxi to Melton. Is I think Melton is more and Maxi has incredible handles, but he's much more comfortable at that shooting guard spot. And I think Melton is comfortable being a point guard off the bench. Yeah. So I think you've got to make that switch, like I said. And they're they're gonna and Bead's gonna be they're gonna be watching his minutes. And where we have a very tough stretch of games coming up. I could see us falling to the four seed. Which honestly our seeding right now, I think we, we would play the Knicks. So I'd like us to if the Knicks are going to stay in that spot, I'd like us to keep the three seed. Um, because I I think we would destroy the Knicks, and the Knicks have been great this season. But I don't know who's guarding Joel, and we've dominated them every time we've played them. I I, I don't I don't know what changes you can make. You I like I really liked the, I think it was a lineup with Harden, Maxi, McDaniel's, uh, Niang, and Reed. Yep. 
you're going to be playing Paul Reed. I, I like that lineup. But we're losing the Embiid minutes. Yep. Reed wasn't Reed's not ready to play in the playoffs. I, I don't know what I don't know what you do. Do you consider moving PJ Tucker to the bench? I I don't know if that no moves the needle needle. I don't I don't Well I mean, that I, was well I was just gonna say like really quickly, you know, that was another reason why I kinda had some questions about the PJ Tucker move, you know, because I thought that PJ Tucker coming off the bench would be like a really good spark for them. But when you're giving him like starting minutes and like during like an average game, he's not going to give you a whole lot of offensive production. And I thought that maybe that they needed somebody else, you know, that could make more of an impact on the offense and have PJ Tucker come off the bench just to be like that veteran gritty guy, you know, that you can just plug him in like wherever and whenever he needs to come in. So. I also kind of do look at Daryl in that sense, and the even the Daniel House like acquisition, like we don't talk about that, but like you know Daniel House Jr. in the bubble that happened like eons ago, like he's not that player anymore, he's not that three point shooter anymore, and there's a reason why that you see Doc is not playing him, and so there is just as much as we criticize the head coach, we also have to look at the roster construction too and 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 ownership as well. You know, there's just a fine line of what holes we still have with this crew, but we also know that their ceiling is also really high as well. It's a very weird spot to be in because we want to get past the second round. That's really like what we want most, okay? We want to get over that hump. It was just like the Phillies, okay? They had a really bad September you know, for like the last eight years, and they were doing so well in August, and then September collapses happened. And even though they almost did it last year, they made it to the playoffs. And not only did they make it to the playoffs, but they went all the way to the World Series. So my point being is that we just want to see this team get over the hump. And even though they do have holes with the coaching, with with the roster construction, and with just ownership and and other gaps... At the same time, this team, I still feel like this team can compete. And I, and that leads me to my last question. So do you think that this team will or can make it to the Eastern Conference Finals or neither? I think this team can make it to the NBA Finals. I mean, I, I, I it's just strategically, coaching-wise, the things that I think need to get better this team needs to be crisper on our closeouts. Al Horford was getting wide open threes last night. I don't know why that's happening. It was like Blake Griffin uh, too. You know, like the other game. It was the same yeah. thing. <laughs> I don't I don't know why that's happening. Uh, PJ Tucker looked as excellent of a defender he is. He has to close out a yep. better really everyone does. I we people shoot the three at such a ridiculous rate in the NBA. You you have to you would rather an open you'd rather an open two than an open three. I mean, yep. so that's one thing. The late game play calling has to get better. The final three minutes, the play the plays, it can't just be post up Joel, post up Joel, post up Joel. In the playoffs, the in the playoffs, I I, th- I honestly thought, and obviously I'm not mad at it because. It helped us stay in the game, but I, I didn't think the refs were good last night at all, and I thought that Joel and James were getting a lot of ticky-tack calls 
going our way that are not going to get called in the playoffs. They're just not. You're, those two guys are going to be hounded. Yep. They're going to be they're going to be hand checked all over the place. They're going to be tugged, and we're not going to get free. Th- we're not going to get as many free throws as we did in the fourth quarter. It's going to be that's that simple. And I understand. Yep. And I love that how intelligent they are and that they're able to draw those fouls. But the refs are not going to call those in the fourth quarter of the semi-conference finals or Eastern Conference finals. It's not going to happen. It's going to be so physical. How adjust, yep. How do you adjust as a coach when you're opposing when the opposing defense is swarming and throwing three guys at Joel and he doesn't even have space to get a pass off? How, how do you adjust? And Can I put in two words? Coach. Can I put in two words? Mm-hmm. Ball movement. It comes down to that, but it, it's sim- it's more simple said and done, and that's it, it's the play calling has to be more creative. Yep. People, you know, we guys have to cut. They can't just be standing around in the final three minutes. Everyone knows where the ball is going, and that's to twenty-one. Yep. Uh, so I think you make it more unpredictable, unpredictable by putting the ball in James's hands more, because he's always he's always going to make the right play. He's always going to make the right pass, or he's going to hit you with just dribbling in between his legs until you're you're you shuffle incorrectly and he, he drives to the basket with that change of pace or he hits you with the step back three. I think Joe, James has to get the ball way more in the final two minutes. I think he has to be the closer. And it's not all on on Glenn either. I mean we this team can't get complacent that you know we can say as much as we want about these runs and and Glenn keeping Joel off the court for that long. The team's gotta gotta be better de- defensively when Joel's off the court. They have to be. Yeah. There has, and I I start to see the dog mentality that Sirianni has coined and talked about. Yeah. They have heart and they're not settling on losing by fifteen. Once the other teams made a big run, they're scrapping and clawing and getting better looks with their ball movement, and and hitting the tough shots to fight back. But the reality is, teams like Boston and Milwaukee, they're deeper. They yep. have nine-man rotations. Yep. We don't. At best, we have a seven-man rotation. Yep. Maybe eight. At best. But in the playoffs, they're not... Even Cleveland play. has a deeper team. Uh-huh. I mean, in yep. the playoffs, they're just not letting... These teams are not letting their foot off the gas like we are when Joel steps off the floor. Yep. It, it, these runs are ridiculous. It, they can't keep happening. It, it, you need to treat a 15-point lead like you're down five with two minutes left to go. Yep. You have exactly. to have that mindset or we're going to continue to lose in the playoffs in a pathetic fashion. Yep. This is the best window you've had in Embiid's career. It's the best team you've surrounded him with. The 2019 team, that probably was a better starting lineup. Yep. This is the best team that you've surrounded Joel with. And the East could not be more wide open. But yep. the reality is, like I said, Milwaukee and Boston are deeper. And they have a more consistent mindset of keeping their foot on the gas that I don't think we have. I agree. Yeah. I think it comes down to mental toughness as well. You know, that's going to be a big thing, you know, especially coming down the stretch. But the good news is that since the Sixers have, quote unquote, the toughest schedule, okay, the good news is that we get to see more of these types of big 
like games, you, you know, like when they play against Miami, when they play against Milwaukee, you know, when they have that West Coast road trip at the end and they go to Phoenix, they go to Golden State, um, and then they go to Denver, like those are going to be those types of games, like where you and I are going to be sitting and we're going to say to ourselves, okay, like they took this game, right? Like they played really well against Memphis and they played pretty well overall against Boston, even though they ended up losing, but we'll... We'll just we we get more opportunities to see how this like goes on, and I think that that's also a really big positive too, is that we get to see how this team can do down the stretch throughout the rest of the regular season. So that could be a really big plus as well. Um, and then there was one other thing I wanted to just leave you with. Um, and and that was just a question about about Tyrese Maxey. Okay. So, it's actually more about Doc. Do you think that Doc realizes now that he has to play Tyrese more with James Harden after that loss? Because I, in some ways, I kind of I kind of got the vibe that maybe, you know, that Ty, because Tyrese had that conversation with him, I think that it is going to happen a little bit more because that's just who Tyrese is. Tyrese is not like a second... Um, you know, like a second string type of a player. Maybe not second string, but you know, he doesn't he's not supposed to be coming off the bench. The reason why that we love the James Harden deal, one of the main reasons why, is because we wanted Maxi to play more off the ball and we wanted him to get more shots. And now that you're putting in, him in with the bench, he's not getting those wide open looks that he was. So my question is, do you think that from this game, do you think that Doc's takeaway is that he's gonna play Tyrese more with James Harden? I think he is playing him more with Harden, but he's got to start. And I yeah. that's where I don't know if Glenn makes the switch. Because on paper, I think we have the sixth best defense in the league, and I think he's just staring at that number. Max, yeah. he's got to start. You, we've got to be scoring 120 against teams like Boston and Milwaukee. Yeah, They're better coached, and, and, and they're deeper, and we've got to keep an eight-point lead in eight-point leads. Because the reality is, in the playoffs, we're not coming back from a 15-point lead. We're not. I don't I don't care what time of the game it is. When you go deep. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've yeah, got yeah. You've got to keep it close the entire time. And to me, Maxi, his scoring ability and the way he gets out in transition and his catch-and-shoot threes, I, I mean, they all... To me, they all keep you in the game way more. And I think... Melton benefits the bench unit more. Okay. Uh, we have we have a sample size now. It's not working. Yep. So how do you adjust? I agree. JC, you're the man. You're the myth. You're the legend. I really appreciate you coming on here, man. I'll try to get you on a couple more times too. Obviously, before the uh, you know, before the regular season's done, and then even during the playoffs. Okay, yeah, so I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, man. <laughs> of course. I love talking Sixers with you, bro. This uh, is this is our team, bro. When if is. this team ever wins a chip, like you and I yeah. are gonna be, be be on the floor weeping, man. Like See, I, I don't wanna be a Debbie Downer here, but according to Tyrone Johnson from ninety seven five the Fanatic, he believes that the Sixers are gonna be the next team that like that do make it to the finals, but they're gonna lose. But then what's gonna happen is after we have another like really bad thing that happens in Philly, 
the Phillies are going to go back to the World Series and they're going to win. So I don't know if I trust that philosophy because I don't even know if this team is even going to make it to the finals. We have to just wait and see. They can, you know, for sure. But I, I can't just, like, pencil them in, you know, just yet. But it'll be interesting. But, man, thank you so much for coming on here. I love you, dude. You're the man. You're awesome. And, uh, you know, for those of you that are just watching him, make sure you go follow him on all his socials because he is awesome. All right, that's going to wrap things up. And before, actually, we get going, I just want to remind you guys to make sure that you like, make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell icon too, so that way you know when I either go live or when I upload for doing play-by-play or for just doing post-game pods on the Sixers, the Phillies, the Patriots, and also the Flyers as well. We will not be going on Monday night. I'm actually going to be calling a volleyball game. I didn't tell this to JC. I'm going to be calling a volleyball game up at Cape Cod, so I will not be doing the Miami Sixers game, but I will be back on. We'll have a post-game show probably the next day on Tuesday, and then we'll be back here on Wednesday for the next Sixers game. And Thursday, I believe, is going to be the day when the Flyers play. So that's going to be our very first Flyers game that we do. And I'm excited about that. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Y'all are the best. I love you so much. And I will catch you all on the next one.